Welcome to StoryWise. This is the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jan Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jan Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am absolutely thrilled to have with me as my guest today, George Mastras. George is currently a producer for the Emmy Award-winning drama Breaking Bad on AMC. He has been on the show for three seasons. He wrote standout episodes, Crazy Handful of Nothing, which won the 2009 Penn USA Award for Best Teleplay, and Grilled, which was nominated for the 2010 Edgar Allan Poe Award. He has also written for such diverse series as the Sci-Fi Channel's Supernatural Detective Series, The Dresden Files, and John Wells' Warner Brothers-produced crime drama, The Evidence. George was awarded the ABC Disney Writing Fellowship in 2005, was nominated for WGA Awards in both 2008 and 2009 for Best Drama in connection with his work on Breaking Bad, and was selected for the WGA Showrunner Training Program in 2010. And that's not all. George is also a novelist. His debut novel, Fidelity's Way, Fidelity's Way, yeah. Fidelity's <laughs> Way was published by Scribner, Scribner, or Scribner, Scribner, yeah, Scribner yeah. in 2009, and has since been released in translation internationally, inspired by George's travels in the remote tribal areas of Pakistan and war-torn Kashmir um, before and after 9/11. Uh, Fidali's Way has been critically acclaimed as brilliantly told and stirring first novel with an odyssey-like story. Um, before writing, George worked as a criminal investigator for the public defender's office, a counselor at a juvenile correctional facility, and a trial attorney in New York and Los Angeles. After 10 years of practicing law, he quit his job, sold his belongings, and spent several years backpacking around the globe before he returned to the U.S. to pursue writing professionally. Born in Boston, George is a graduate of Yale, UCLA Law School, and Outward Bound. Wow. Well, thank thank you so much for that. uh, Too kind introduction. I was so (laughs) impressed when I was looking at all this. I mean, I knew. I mean, I remember meeting with you and going, wow, but this is wow. This is wow several years later. Oh, thanks, Jen. So, yeah. It's a pleasure and an honor being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Number one, I have to start with Breaking Bad is like one of my absolute favorite television shows on wow well great it is i love it and i love your episodes oh thanks so much really like i have so watched your name come up on my favorite episodes over the years so i commend you on that thanks so much yeah congrats on on all the acclaim the show is getting yeah it's it's uh yeah it's been a great run a great three years and um yeah i'm just it's a privilege being on that show for sure yeah. Are you one of the few who has survived all three years, or are there many? Um, I know Vince has been yeah, on it, obviously, obviously. Vince, it's Vince's the creator, yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, there's myself and Peter Gould have been on since the uh, the first year. Great. And um, and uh, but we've there's very little turnover. I mean, most of the writers have been around, if not from the first year, uh, the second year is. Uh, uh, Moira Wally Beckett and um, right. uh, Sam Catlin. Yeah, they great. were both on year two and three, and you know we got picked up for a, a fourth season. Congratulations! We'll so be going forward. Yay for and, us! Yeah, <laughs> so it's a it's a great writing Yay for staff us because the viewers. Uh, yeah, I I'm just thrilled. Well, and you know it's interesting to me about that concept because I remember looking at that concept the first year and going, ah, I wonder what they're gonna do. Time-wise, if this show works, yeah, considering yeah. the diagnosis. Exactly. But, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, 
it's it's an interesting thing. You have a lead character. You know, your your lead is is essentially dying of cancer, lung yeah. cancer, and lung cancer is not really a curable disease. And we're not going to cure cancer on the show. So, um, you know, a lot of it is that the show goes very slowly, and an episode will take. You know, some episodes, you know, take the course of an hour or two out right. of these people's lives, right? And uh, or days, oh, you that's know. Smart. So really, since yeah. since the since the first day, since the pilot, you know, six months have passed or seven months have passed. Uh, so you know, you take it if you take things slowly. Uh, then you know, it, can you can, work. it can stretch out. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like when you take a concept like loss, and right. of course the idea was what's going to happen if they lost, get found. Yeah. Perfect and example. Yeah. It's like, yes, <laughs> it's like okay, they were on the island <laughs> for like a month, and four years of the show have passed. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. You know, so it's like you you do look at that and go, okay, anything is possible creatively, mm-hmm. and you have mm-hmm. that liberty. And I think you know it's fascinating for me, like when I look at the concept descriptions of Breaking Bad, how it was described in the beginning versus how it is now, which it seems more like the diagnosis was a platform to launch Walt, the lead character played by Brian Cranston, into this world of being the kingpin of, of the drug world. Right, you right. Know? It's having death at his back and sort of that being, you know, the motor or the engine behind this transformation. Um, and yeah, we, we do try to be very accurate about the medical stuff and, you know, it's people struggle with a terrible disease like cancer. It's off, it has its ups and downs and yeah. you kind of never get over it. You can go in remission for a while and remission technically just means it's not growing or it's, it's responded a little bit to treatment and it can come back and, you know, people can last for several years, uh, uh, and it's still with lung cancer. Okay. Yeah, it's happened. Yeah. Uh, well, generally, it's I was gonna a say, very bad I was type. Gonna but say, yeah. but uh, actually, my my brother's an oncologist, and he serves as sort of the uh, the consultant on the show. And oh, that's They have great. people living four or five years with lung cancer now. So really? it all depends on how aggressive your tumors are and how you respond to the treatment. And so wow, um, wow, wow. That's wild. That's serious. Have you guys have you guys done well as far as um, any of the awards for like I don't know does Humanitas do the yeah there's like, like what a awards are there is it the Sentinel Award we we won that yeah that's we won great. This, this the I believe it's the Sent- Sentinel Award oh that's fantastic which is uh, for accuracy uh, yeah first season won that for accuracy in uh, in medical issues and, that's great and uh, of course there was a great episode um, uh, from the first season that. Uh, that dealt with, you know, whether or not Walt actually wanted to accept treatment at all. Right. And I think they really responded to that because, you know, most people just, you know, do you want to go through this long kind of chemotherapy and the stuff that treatment can be bad in and of itself. And so to actually see that kind of debate on TV, whether or not you actually want to go through with it. And Walt didn't really want to go through with it, but he ended up doing it for his family, you know. I think it's a very prevalent universal issue. I mean, I just Mm -hmm. went through it with my best friend and it was one of my best friends and it was it was a very very trying time because of course mm. you have the struggle of eastern versus western medicine and the idea of of what really is the best course of action for each individual so i think to have entertainment show it in a way that is a very prevalent issue that many people are going through i think is great yeah sure you know sure. definitely now thinking about and then i'm going to get you wrote the first episode of this season Right? Uh, no, I did not. You no. wrote the uh-uh. episode. I know your name was on. Uh, it was e- it was one of the earlier episodes. Vince uh, wrote the first episode of this season. Uh, I wrote episode three. Three. Yeah. It was episode three. Uh-huh. That was an episode that I was like, wow. Um, and I love the first episode too. I love the pilot. Like I went and watched the pilot. Yeah, it's fantastic again pilot. Because um, I, you know, I teach writers, so I I often cite Breaking Bad as an excellent, excellent pilot as far as how you write a strong pilot. And um, but I'm I'm curious, like how the show has evolved when you think about. Going into the show, your very first week versus now, and and story like how what has that journey been like? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I remember reading the pilot too, and I was just like this blown away by the pilot, as almost everyone is. Yeah. And, um, you know, you you okay? This is a show about a guy who's dying of lung cancer, and he's a high school chemistry teacher, and he's he's cooking meth in his RV with a former student, and and like this is. A fantastic concept yeah. for a show, and Vince is the first one to admit that you know you 
never think this would actually make it on the air. And then when you get on the air, it's like, what, how, how is it going to last? Yeah. um, And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, and I think Vince will, you know, he's the first one to say, it's just this, it's really kind of experimental in a way because it's, it's a, a TV show about transformation. I mean, as you get the whole, it's like, like chemistry, it's about transformation and it's about change and taking a character he always says from Mr. Chips and turning him into Scarface. Yeah. And so it's very unusual for a TV show to do that. Yeah. And it's a it's a big experiment. You know, how how do you keep the audience with you when you see that transformation? You know, you have to get the audience invested in this character, but he's going places and doing awful things and you wanna you know, how far can you push the envelope and have still have people rooting for him? And a lot of uh, the story, you know, comes from just sort of le- allowing this character and the other characters around him to grow organically. So there's right. not as much sort of, you know, I've, I've worked on procedural shows before where you're, okay, let's come up with murder mysteries and throw them out there. But this is really different. It's like, how does this character, you know, how do we take this character and how would this character respond to his environment? And, and uh, it's really something that grows organically. So we do a lot of debating about all about character in the right But room. the transformation, like I know I would imagine, like they said, I think it was when The Good Wife started that mm-hmm. one would have thought it was a legal show that was highly driven by the case. Mm-hmm. And, and it became more character-driven because it tested, well, character-wise, I would imagine Breaking Bad probably has evolved over formula like over what they thought the formula was going to be and then became so although i'd have to say the pilot was very character driven it was plot driven as well but um i would say his character has always been a deep deep part of it everything uh, you know in my view everything really starts from debating what these characters would do yeah it all really starts from that that well, and Walt's and, wife, I like what you guys have done with yeah, her. Skylar, I think you've, yeah. yeah, and I love his son as well. I mean, and Jesse and mm-hmm. every, I mean, the finale last year. Oh, my gosh. I haven't seen the, <laughs> I, ha- I still have to watch the finale this okay, year. Okay. I'm so excited. Um, so now take me into your two episodes that won the awards. I'm, I'm, I'm. Would love to hear a little. What what is the concept for each of them? And when you were writing them, how like did you feel as a writer? I'm I feel like I'm really hitting something special, and or was this the reaction to them a surprise, or or how was that? Experience yeah. For okay. You? I think on the you know the the first one you're talking about, Crazy Handful of Nothing, which was the first season episode uh, that I wrote. Um, it's really, you know, it, it felt like that was a very, it was a very transformative moment for, for Walt. So I kind of did feel like, all right, this is, and I just got lucky that it happened to, that this big Maybe moment happened. Yeah, that I was yeah. writing and I kind of knew that and I kind of wanted to really, you know, mine that the best that I could. Oh, and um, and so it was just, it was just story-wise and character-wise, everything kind of converged and it was just, it was basically mine to fuck up <laughs> or not. <laughs> You know, and, and so right. it just, it, yeah, I think that's really what happened there. And, you know, it was the whole thing where he's he's sick from cancer. But, but you know, up until that point, you know, we had the pilot where Walt, you know, he was very active and he decided I'm going to cook meth for the first time so I can you know, have this seed money for my family. And then after that, the episodes after that, there was a couple episodes, the great episodes where he's cleaning up this mess because everything went terribly awry and, you know, there's bodies that they have to get rid of and then... Then he's responding to, do I take treatment? And then this thing happens with Jesse, and he's, you know, I got to introduce this character, Tuco, who was this crazy, you know. Great character. He's really yeah. a metaphor for the, this crazy world out there. And, um, and Jesse gets beaten up by Tuco, and, you know, either, either Walt's just going to kind of recede and allow this to go, or, you know, what's he going to do? And at the same time, he's sick from the cancer, and, it, and the fact that he's got death on his back and he's really feeling this, this inner Heisenberg comes out in him. And it's just, so the first moment in season one since the pilot where we see this, this other side of the him darkness. come out, and it comes, yeah. and he confronts Tuco and oh, his lair. Great. And so I just, you know, that big explosive moment where he's not afraid because he feels like he's dying anyway, and he just walks in there with, you know, this this uh, fulminated mercury which is like this this crystal actually looks like crystal meth and and it's like it's you know we're all going down or you give me my money back and 
and he sort of gained the respect of his crazy. So I did feel like that was a big that one you knew was special. Yes, um, I, and, I get uh, that. And uh, it turned out great. Um, in the end, uh, I you know flattered that people recognized that that episode. So that was uh, great. But a lot of it was just being lucky to have that that moment in the story. <laughs> That's great. And. Um, uh, the second season episode I wrote, Grilled, was, uh, well, you know, I got to introduce Tuco in, in Crazy Handful of Nothing and take him out in Grilled. That was the one where he got killed in a kind oh, of a big shootout. And so you get the p- character payment and then the character <laughs> payment goes right. away. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, and that one, you know, I, I knew it would be really fun and a lot of that was – to me, I felt like I was sort of writing a horror movie in a lot of ways because right. it was trying to trying to build the suspense of these, you know, Walt and Jesse captured in this desert hideout with this, you know, maniacal meth addicted guy and his his, you know, his mute crazy uncle who just rings a bell and just sort of building the suspense of being, you know, the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of suspense of right. these people trapped in the desert. And and, you know. Yeah, it was great. Uh, you know, this great director Charlie Hayde. Oh yeah, from Charlie's Hill Street great. Blue yeah. fame, and and you know, just wetting the script with Charlie. It just it was. It turned out really great. And it oh, was, that's fantastic. It was like you know, being out there in the shoot. It was like you know, six days in the the, the Mexico heat, and it was it was a lot of hardship. And I think that that kind of bled through into the cast, and uh, you know, there was. Uh, uh, and it all sort of worked out that way. I mean, everything, the hardship of shooting that thing contributed to the whole Isn't aura. Isn't that great and, when that yeah, happens? Yeah, it's really great. It's and, a journey, and, and it shows up you know, on the screen. That's great. There was, you know, Aaron got, he didn't want to, he, he always wants to do all his own stunts, and he hit a door, and at one point he had to go to the hospital because uh, he was fighting with Ray, and, and, you know, the door was supposed to fly open when Ray threw him out. It wasn't Ray's fault at all, but, you know. Who's he, Aaron and Ray? Aaron, Aaron is Jesse. Oh, yes, okay. Yeah. And so he hit, this, he hit the door, and he ended up getting the big lump on his, you know, head, Whoa. and which you see in the final yeah. shot of the episode. No, you just went with <laughs> Because it. that's the take we, yeah. we used, because it was real, where he hits the door, and he just kind of fell. And right. And it was, uh, it was, yeah, you know, it was crazy. So you make adjustments. <laughs> that's the beauty of exactly. writing. Exactly. Yep, exactly. beauty of writing and creating. Okay, so now getting into the writer's room and breaking story. I'm curious, looking at um, Breaking Bad, and Dresden Files and the evidence. Like, if you think about the writer's room on all three shows, what would you say you maybe learned from the earlier shows that informed you on Breaking Bad? Or were there the three styles that different? I think they were very different. Um, the evidence was a show that uh, the showrunner is, you know, the show the showrunners, the people that created the show, Sam Baum and Dustin Thomason, are very, very smart, great, great writers. Yeah. Um, they were not as they a lot of times the writers' room and the procedural can be okay. Come up with stories, and you sort of and you're coming up with stories without them in the room, and sort of pitching to them after. And so that was a very, very different style. And it, it worked, I thought. Um, but, you know, that works in the concept of, of sort of a, a, you know, a non-serialized sort of procedural show. You can do that. And um, the Dresden Files, I, I'm not sure the Dresden Files kind of knew what it was going to be, whether it was going to be a serialized or procedural show. And we can talk about that in a minute. But I think that's one of the reasons why that show kind of failed. <laughs> yeah. But um and uh, I've heard different things yeah. about that experience, yes. And I'm breaking bad. It's Vince is in the room always. And oh, that's it's, nice. It, and, you know, unless he's out and editing or whatever, and that's very helpful. And uh, it's a much more kind of collaborative um, uh, uh, show. And, you know, that's why it's a highly serialized show, so it has to be. And, um, you know, it's just uh, it, it just functions very, very well on that level. How is, now I'm curious, when you look at mentors in your career, who are some of the mentors? Like you just mentioned, you like the way Vince runs the room and yeah. is a part of it. So yeah. that probably has been a good person for you to watch and go, okay. You know, I think, like I always look at writers who go up um, with a variety of spir- experiences in climbing the ladder. Mm-hmm. And I, I always hope that writers take note mm-hmm. of 
of the um, what they respect um, from the showrunners that they work with and even from the ones that they may not agree with how they run the room still gain knowledge from, okay, I am going to do it this way. I'm right. not going to do it that way. Right. So um, as, as far as who would you say are some of your mentors who've kind of helped define um, an idea of what you hope to do? Because clearly your, your show running days are, are going to be here <laughs> soon enough. Let's hope. I believe. I would say, you know, absolutely, Vince. Um, like you say, uh, he's very, you know, inclusive and he includes the writers not only in the writing process, but in all aspects of production. And oh, we're, on, we're on the set and we're, we're act, you know, we're producers. And, uh, you know, he invites us into the, re- into the editing room and we see and he's masterful at editing. So just right. being able to see that is, is, is fantastic. Um, and uh, so uh, I guess... On, the first show I was on, um, the evidence, I, you know, that was also, I, you know, I definitely f- feel like I, you know, I got a lot of support, uh, from, from everyone on that show and, right. and, uh, um, you know, I so really, it was a very collaborative room. It was a collaborative room. Um, and, uh, it was the kind of thing where, you know, if you willing to accept responsibility, it was, it was given, you know, given to me. And so right. that was, that was great. Uh, and that was, you know, that was my first experience at writing on staff. So that was that was a very positive experience for me. The show didn't really last that long. It, you know, ABC pulled it pretty quickly after like eight episodes or whatever. But you know, I remember. Yeah, um, that was hard. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do. It just wasn't an ABC show. Right. I mean, if that was on a CBS or something, it might right. have been very different. I would was say very, you're right. Yeah. Um, and the Dresden Files was. I don't know if that. Was, <laughs> I don't know if that was the healthiest room. So. Okay. It's, uh, That's, you know what, people yeah. are very honest on here, and I want that because mm-hmm. I kind of, in doing this podcast, I want writers to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly right. of what right. the journey is because it's not easy. No, and The bottom no. line is yeah. there are rooms that are very unhealthy, and I think it is learning what my hope is is that when you do get exposed to, again, situations that may not be the way you would do things, I hope that writers learn from that versus right, mimic right. what they saw. Exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah, yeah, it is, and no, it's a good thing. Uh, let's see, when you think of the writing rooms for the shows you've been on with Breaking Story, now we talked about how each of them had their different approaches. When you when you break a story for Breaking Bad, what what exactly goes into that? So you start with you start with Walt. It sounds like our character moment driven moment, and then how like is there a formula or or like when you're writing the show? Say for example, you know one of the things I teach is your teaser is all about your dilemma, and then your act one is moving towards the goal. And and often Act One ends with the first obstacle to the goal, mm-hmm. but there's total clarity on the goal. And I have noticed that Breaking Bad seems to follow that formula pretty well. Occasionally, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe it's just me uh, in my mind, uh. but it is in like my favorite episodes uh-huh. that I look at. I go like the thing I love that Breaking Bad does is it has teasers that are like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, and and I love yeah. that because it creates anticipation. Because right. even though it may be not a clear dilemma, it's something that you know is going to be connected. You yeah, know? I think it's often connected, but they really, they really can, they could often stand alone as right. like a little mini Some of film the teasers, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I remember the was it the bloody teddy bear in the pool? Yeah, yeah, I right. remember that, and I was. Just those are the only teasers that really had a design toward a goal, because those are all sort of. You know, glimpses part of, part of what was going to yeah. happen at the end of you know the big plane crash and right. those are pieces, and they were sort of layering mystery. So there was a design to those. But you know, we've had uh, you know we had a uh, a narco corrido music video yeah, as one. Yeah, I remember. Um, I totally one episode remember. that uh, you know, I, I co-wrote with Peter Gould this year. We had like a you know there's the uh, Poyos Hermanos mm-hmm. commercial. I remember and, you know, that was you know yep. inter- saying something about the villain and you're Gus. Going, what? And, and if you think you're just watching a commercial on television and it turns out to be the teaser, um, you know, so we, we try to mix them up. Is that challenging, like, on a creative point? Like, or does it's really it fun is what freedom. it is. Yeah, yeah, it gives you freedom. And a lot of times we like to sort of, 
if we really liked a character to kill off or something, we'll bring back. And, you know, um, uh, Danny Trejo was, was uh, this guy, Tortuga, in season two. And right. He, he, his head ended up on a turtle that exploded. Right. And so this year, it's like we, you know, in one of my episodes, we shared his actual beheading in a bar in yeah, Mexico. Yeah, Europe. tied that into some of the violent. new characters. I remember. So yeah. it's like, okay, let's bring Danny back just to behead him. And so it's kind of fun that way. But, you know, you're right. It always it always ties into the episode somehow. And that, Yeah, because even if it's a theme right. that you're exploring or something, right. it's like the show is so succinct mm-hmm. in being able to and then connect all your act outs back yeah. and I'm like going okay I love that's one of the reasons I love the writing so mm-hmm. much um, but as far as for, like formula and stuff I think we definitely do mix them up like you know we, yeah. had, we had one episode this fly this year which was all about you know it was Walt and Jesse in the super lab and and uh, it was, you know, that's that's all it was, and they were chasing a fly, and yeah, you know, I remember. It, it reflected on their characters. That was like a bottle episode. It was a bottle it? episode. Yeah, yeah. And um, and you know, f- I my episode three, it was the whole first act was one scene, so it was just one continuous scene, which was was kind of fun to write that. And so I mean, like what I love about the cable shows is it seems you guys definitely have more freedom and liberty mm-hmm. artistically. Absolutely. To yeah. to push the envelope right you know and right. and how how involved is the network with the with breaking bad are, are they hardcore as far as notes do they are they are is it the exact same experience as working on say the evidence um i would say that i mean i think that they know that it's really you know the show is really vince gilligan's vision and yeah. that's what they bought and that's what they're putting on the air that's so right. there's they obviously give notes, but right. it's sort of okay. But this show is sinking and swimming on this guy's vision, and he's, you know, and it's, it's swimming. It's, it's doing. It's <laughs> swimming, and it's doing great. And yeah. so there's, you know, there's a lot of respect there. Oh, that's great. And I, I'd say a lot less interference than what I've seen on the other two shows that I worked on. That's right now, and, and I think you know, Brian sci-fi won. is cable, yeah. but that was really, really heavy notes, and you know the network notes were often completely inconsistent with the studio notes, and right. there was two levels of things you had to go through, and there's none of that kind of nonsense on. That's a, no, <laughs> I'm that's breaking a good, bad. That's a good point for you to bring up. Now, tell me, as a writer, like mm-hmm. when you get um, a a wide range of notes, mm-hmm. how is that for you as a writer to process? It's uh, it can be tough. I mean, if you have it, if you have it in that kind of situation, and I, I haven't been a showrunner yet, but I would resist that where you have to go through studio notes and network notes separately because if they're not on the same page, then you're going to end up just throwing a lot of stuff against the wall. Right. And uh, you know, I think that's sort of what happened on Dresden Files. Um, um, and it's it's just a lot of wasted time. I mean, the most important thing is to deliver quality scripts on time, and you can't do that when you're when you're writing two different drafts, for you know one for the studio, and then you have to change it back to the way it was before for the network and that kind of stuff. Um, and you know they should really consolidate their notes and talk about what they think the show is. Right. Uh, before I think they give no, them I data. think it's a very good point. I would say like at CBS Paramount. Right. They, because network and studio are essentially now one and the same, I think creatively it probably works a lot better. And same with ABC and same with NBC. Sure, and if they want to be that involved in the note process, they they need to be on the same page. Otherwise, just kind of back off and let the people that you you bought the show from kind of do their thing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when I think about, uh, I was a current programming executive for 12 years, and when I think about the shows that didn't last, it really came down to, you know, I, I, I find that like in the first five episodes, but you're trying to unify the vision of the showrunner, the network, and the studio. Mm-hmm. And and it used to be that you had five shows to be able to Get accomplish there. that. You can't now. You can't yeah. now. So now it's like a whole different ballgame. Right. And it's like you sometimes get three or four episodes and then you're gone. Right. If you haven't. So, you know, I, I definitely, I think, again, I think the, the great thing about cable is they do give a little more of an opportunity mm-hmm. for a new possibility mm-hmm. for a show to grow 
And, you know, I mean, when I look at your show, Mad Men, Big Love, True Blood, Rubicon is excellent. Have you seen that? Uh, I saw the pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah, was excellent. Yeah. And then Treme is Treme great, is too. Yeah. yeah, so I look and I'm, I get so excited because mm-hmm. I'm like, yay, it's so wonderful see th- to see all this incredible writing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go into the idea of you being a showrunner. Um, what are some of the styles that you feel like knowing yourself because I always like is recognizing your strengths and your weaknesses and this may be something some people like talk about some people mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. like I look at showrunners and I think usually they're one or the other they know how to manage a staff but they're not maybe not the strongest writer or they are a very strong writer and they hire a co-EP who better knows how to manage the room mm-hmm. What? Where do you think you lie? Oh, boy, in that? I, I have no idea. I mean, I hope that I hope that I could do both. I, I mean, the just, great uh, thing is on Breaking Bad is you've learned how to produce ep- episodes mm-hmm. as well as the writers' room. So it sounds like it's been a great training ground, and that goes to like the showrunners program. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing you learn from that program is everyone has very different styles, and I think you just have to sort of learn your own way of doing it before <laughs> before you get the plug gets pulled from yeah. you, and it's. It just it show running seems like an impossible job, but you know, you just gotta try to work it out somehow. And but I do think that just at the end of the day, everyone talks about you know you gotta manage and you gotta do this and you gotta do that. But at the end of the day, the great I think if you just if you're delivering great scripts and they're there, they might not be there. You know, I mean, people like you know John Wells came to talk to us, and I worked on a John Wells show, and he is so good at. He, he must keep on that schedule and this and that and this and that. And, you know, maybe you can keep on that schedule. Maybe you can't. I, probably John needs to because he's always running about five shows at the same time. Right. But, um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think if you're delivering great scripts and you give production enough of a head start that they can actually, you know, you know, yeah. do what they do. Yeah. Then it's, it's go- it can work out. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And, quality uh, scripts, I would agree with you, are right. at the core of a successful showrunner's career. Right. Definitely. And, I, you know, part of that is really being able to get the most out of your writers, too. And yeah. So how you run the room and how you... Inspire tr- yes, others. Yeah. Inspire others and yeah. not just use the room as like a sounding board for your, you know, your yeah. ideas and actually, you know, take what's good about your individual writers and bring that out and use their strengths, I think, is really crucial. No, that so, sounds great. Yeah. See? Look yeah. at what you've learned. Yeah. Yeah. This is all great. <laughs> and with that, uh, I am going to take a break. We are speaking with George Mastress, who is a producer on the Emmy award-winning show Breaking Bad on AMC. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. Okay, next I'd love to go into like your career path because right. you definitely entered the writer's room after you lived life in such a grand way between, <laughs> I know I mean between being an attorney an investigator um you know let's see what else you worked in a, a counselor at a juvenile correction facility you traveled the world I mean all of that has got to be I've tried to keep it interesting <laughs> for story so, so tell yeah. me about like the day um you hit your breaking point as mm-hmm. far as being an attorney and practicing law and going, this is not my life goal and I okay. need to write. I don't know if it was a day, but, you know, I, I was a litigator and, uh, you know, um, you know, being a litigator, you're sort of a, you're a mercenary, a hired gun and your life is, it's, you know, preparing for trial and being in trial, which is basically like constantly being in a state of war and you're paid to just, chew people up and bury their heads in the sand and it's just screaming and people and this and that and you know it's uh uh you know I felt like I was good at it but you know you get to some point you're like 
and I was at the point where I was working for a big firm, and it was like, okay, I maybe had another year to put in before I was definitely on partnership track. And, you know, so there's so much pressure for you to just go through with it because at that point you're making good money. Um, but, you know, it's just like, is this really what I want to, once you get to that point, it's like, there's kind of, I felt like there was no turning back. Um, I got married and I had always been a traveler and been into mountains and this and that. And, uh, my wife, Hope, also, she hadn't really traveled as much as me. She always heard my stories and saw how inspired I was about, you know, talking about these places I'd been to. And, and so it was something she wanted to do. And we both talked about it. And for a period of a couple years we were talking about maybe we should just quit and travel for a while you know before you have kids or whatever and you know that we weren't really serious about it when we sort of started talking about it but you know finally we decided you know what the hell let's do it and um it's now or never and I so we, we quit our jobs and we put everything we were living in hollywood put everything in storage and we sold our cars and we literally bought one-way tickets to china and we we were we strapped down backpacks because we knew that we wanted to go, we wanted to go through a period of our lives where we had just no job responsibility and nothing, no job waiting for us when we got back, so that we could just kind of not plan anything and just see where it took us. And we just you know we literally you know went to Hong Kong and took a rail all the way across China and tried to avoid flights and just went overland and hitchhiked and took boats and. Spent about eight months in the Himalayas. Oh my God, this is <laughs> trekking amazing. and backpacking, and you know he trekked up to the base camps of Everest and K two, and and you know spent about six months in Kashmir in northern Pakistan, which is was kind of a crazy time to go because it was you know we were in Peshawar, um, which is in the sort of war torn area of the northwest territories of Pakistan. You know, in July before September, two thousand. Wow. Yeah, two thousand one, and but uh, you know just going through the these areas, they're just amazing beauty and and uh, you know just sort of on the trip, I kind of came to the conclusion that you know I just didn't want to go back to law and uh, and you know I'd always have a always had a passion about writing and so this trip which was supposed to be about six months turned into two years so and the the oh latter because it's really cheap traveling this right, way right and um you know the latter part of the trip i started writing a novel which turned into my published novel fidali's way and we kind of hold up on a beach bungalow on the island of lombok in indonesia and you know i bought a laptop in singapore and started writing that thing and and uh, you know a few that false sounds starts, so romantic but, uh, <laughs> i love that it That's was great. it was it was great and so you know we came back from this trip and i had this manuscript and i was like what do i do with it now um you know i wrote query letters and all that stuff and that never really worked you know what did work <laughs> everybody always wants to know that yeah. what sold your manuscript uh you know i even started trying to write magazine articles about the trips and stuff and you know you'd get like you know stamped things back saying no thank you no thank you no thank you I started writing television specs. Um, right. And what uh, was your first one? Uh, you know, I think I wrote like a, I was like, okay. I mean, I always loved television, but you know, obviously, I started writing a novel first. I just wanted to get. I just wanted to be a working writer somehow. And so I figured, well, I can use my legal background because you know, although I wouldn't say that that's like my passion as a writer to write legal drama, it's like something I could use. Something in my you pocket. know. Something yeah. I know. So I wrote like a Guardian, and I, you know, I started. I started sending these around to agents, and of course, agents wouldn't read it. So I, honestly, I don't, I don't know how to get agents to read stuff. But I started entering competitions, and you know, the Guardian, you know, I think I made it to like the finals of of the Disney program and the Warner Brothers program, but didn't get in with right. the script. So I was like crushed. And then I had, you know, Hope got pregnant, and I had to actually go back to law right. because I was like, oh, I'm not, you know. And uh, so, you know, I took a job not litigating, but doing like business affairs at New Line Cinema. Um, and, you know, I really hated that. Right. Because, <laughs> right. you know, at least when, as a litigator, you have the excitement of, of going yeah. to trial and yeah. that kind of stuff, which to me, you know, I did get kind of a rush being arguing and that kind of stuff. And just doing contracts, I really, you know, A, I was horrible at it. And B, I hated it because I was just bored out of my mind. But, I, you know, I wrote another spec. I wrote a Law and Order, and the second year I got into the ABC Fellowship. Yeah, and, and how I was that? that? I quit the New Line job immediately, right. and so I was there. You know, I had 
gone back to law for about a year. And then the great thing about the ABC fellowship is that, you know, it it's a salary. You. It's yeah. a salary, too. Yeah. So at least you're getting some money. It's not right. a lot. And um, and that was the foot in the door. And so did that lead to you getting an it, agent and a manager? It led a... to me getting a job on the evidence. Oh, great. Because that's the thing about that yeah. program is they, yeah, they, they, place you. they can staff yeah. you. And, uh, you know, on the evidence, I wrote, you know, three scripts and right. one of them was produced before it got canceled. But still, you know, I'm writing scripts. And, you know, once I got staffed, it's like all of a sudden you, know, you get agents and, you know, I got an agent and then I got a book agent and my, you know, through the television agent, like, what else do you have? I'm like, well, I have a novel. <laughs> well, let me see. And then, you know, immediately, like, he's like, this is great. I'm going to send it to your, you know, to my colleague in New York. And then so that led to a book agent that led to you know, getting the book published. So it all kind of came off of, you know, I'm very grateful for the, to the ABC Fellowship for, for accepting me because it all came off of that. And Do you know, I love hearing that. I'm the writing instructor for NBC's Writers on the Verge. Right. And, you know, we've had a very good year as far as, as seeing people get staffed from this year and last year. Mm -hmm. and, and really knowing that these programs do help prepare, educate, and train writers to move Absolutely, forward yeah. and make their dreams come true right. so I, I i think that's fantastic and i love for writers to know that i think the biggest thing you know when i think about your journey um um i just wrote a book called storyline finding the gold in your life story and it's all about fictionalizing your truth in your writing and when i i think about your journey uh in law and in investigating and in traveling the world in not knowing where your next paycheck is coming after going through security and really having that inform your writing. I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like I have a lot to draw You have a huge on. well. Yeah. I mean, it's like your gold is your truth. And so to be out there living and succeeding and failing and being rejected and being accepted and being critically acclaimed for your novel and how fascinating that you went through, you know, some rejections for your novel and the articles and suddenly you make it in TV and suddenly it makes that side of your life more credible. Mm -hmm. And then that opens doors and then it becomes critically acclaimed. Keep I at mean, it. That's my advice. Yeah, just keep, yeah. I think that's fantastic. Well, and thanks, yeah. now how tell me about the novel writing. What what was your creative experience with writing a novel? A lot of my creativity, I think, is tied toward travel to traveling, and that's sort of what inspires me. And, and the novel is is probably the the best example of that. You know, I I traveled in Pakistan, Kashmir, northern India. You know, previously uh, before the the big trip that I took, uh, because I'm really into mountains. So I'd been it's amazing mountaineering and hiking. And so I'd been to Pakistan like in 1992, and then I went back in 2001 and really fell in love with like Kashmir. It's the most beautiful place on earth and the people are wonderful and lovely. And you know, this whole 9-11 thing happened and it you know, caused me to sort of question what, what is it about this area that is kind of dear to me and kind of transformative in a lot of ways uh, uh, that led to this kind of crucible of this whole, these events that were changing the world and still are changing the world and we're obviously really invested in that part of the world right now. Uh, and so, you know, the idea of a, of a novel that was going to explore that region and it was really a Westerner immersed in that world, you know, came to mind and, and, you know, all these things were converging in my own head. And so that's sort of what inspired me to write this story, um, uh, you know, about a Westerner who gets in trouble in Pakistan and escapes over the Himalayas into, you know, war-torn Kashmir and it sort of, it, it deals with the whole you know conflict between the west and islam and the different aspects of what's going on there and so you know those kind of large issues yeah. it just felt very novelistic to me and yeah. i just i felt like a need to kind of once i mapped out the character and the story it just kind of all came out of me and i was able to sort of whip off a rough draft of this huge 600 page manuscript oh you know God. within about four months <laughs> and you know then it's all writing is all the rewriting process and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and sort of eventually was tailored into you know what it is now but uh Are you gonna write another novel i am and i the thing is it uh it's sort of it i love that and but right now it's like what's 
paying for me <laughs> is TV and yeah. movies. And so that's what I'm doing now. And I, I will return to it, to novel writing. But right now, it's sort of I'm focusing on everything Features else. It's really TV. taking off yeah. in my career. That's great. And so uh, um, that's uh, – but I do have a love for that. And I love the fact that, you know, novel writing is about – the language and yes. sort of when you write exposition in a yeah. film or whatever it's really just a blueprint it's never no one's ever reading that so yeah. i love the fact that the right it's all about writing and lyrical yeah and people are going to enjoy yeah. the writing as opposed to you know uh you know just the you know writing the blueprint for what other people take over which but is how amazing for the first thing that you wrote to have the type of praise that you did that's oh great. thanks yeah. yeah i think that's fantastic when you think about your um your path as a writer, because one of the things I think will be so inspiring for the listeners is the recognition that you weren't 22 when you started as a writer in Hollywood. You had a career, a 10-year career as a lawyer. You traveled the world for two years, and then you entered, re-entered the world of Hollywood as far as from the writer's angle. Did that did that scare you at first? Did that what What was that experience? Like? It was uh, it was pretty scary. I mean, I, you know, I was I was thirty six, thirty seven when I started. You know, when I got into the ABC fellowship, and um, you know, I, the first big decision for me was to quit my legal career and go traveling, which was pretty insane. Uh, but then to come back and sort of okay, start all over is scary because you reach a certain point, a certain point of financial security, a certain point of, you know, uh, respect in the community. Yeah. Yeah. I had, yeah, I had, you know, my second child in the way when I started getting into this. And so, uh, it's very, very scary, which is why, you know, a program like the ABC fellowship is great because you get, you know, you get paid, uh, once you get in, which allowed me to quit my job and pursue this full time. A lot of it was, you know, as I was practicing law, I'd come home beat, and I would start writing, you know, at night. And so it was a lot of work. And so I guess, you know, advice would be if, if you really want to do it, you got to do it. You make it happen. You make it happen yeah. at weekends and nighttime and, and, um, and uh, you know, and uh, you just don't, don't really give up. I mean, I remember I was at a point where, and, you know, I know that there's people that, that you know, they try for 10 years before they break in. And I guess for me it really wasn't that long, but it felt like, I'd reach the end of my rope because, you know, at, when, you, when you work. start, it had to work. Yeah. And when you have kids and you're 37, it's like you, you can't afford 10 years of breaking in. You know, it's like I'm not going to go bartend and do this at night. It's sort of. Yeah. So. Um, uh, but I but think it those are out. huge factors. And, yeah. Like when you think about what motivates us to succeed. When I started my business, I it was in the middle of the writer's strike. I had, I'm opening a writer's consultancy, and I had two months' salary left mm-hmm. in the bank. Yeah. After a 15-year it's really scary at the studios. Yeah. So it really was jumping off a cliff. It's more scary yes. than if you're yes. 21 and you move out, which I'm, yeah. I'm sure that's scary too. Yeah. But there's like kind of less when you have less to lose. You yeah. Know? And it, so. in the, but the beautiful thing I think about that when people would say to me, "Well, what were you going to do if it didn't work?" I said, you know, I never allowed myself to think that it right. had to work. Right. So it sounds like you were in a similar place. I so was, it, yeah, 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 and uh, and you know, I was able to pull it off. I don't know how long I would have kept on, you know, doing it. I probably would have, you know, always tried, but you know, um, uh, you know, there's a point where you're like ready to throw in the towel for sure. But, At what you know, point would you say you started to see your voice? In your writing? Pretty early on, and I think that's part of the benefit of starting something like this later in life is you you have lived a life. And I feel like I feel like that's my value in a writing room, you know. You, there's always fear, like people are like, oh, there's age discrimination in Hollywood and this and that. And there may be, but it's like I'm not writing Gilmore Girls. I'm writing drama. And so I feel like I have a lot more I can bring to the room. And... Um, I felt like my voice, my voice is still developing, but I had a very distinctive voice. And I think that's sort of what got me into the ABC program is that, you know, I have a very distinctive voice from the start. Um, and, um, and you just got to believe in that and believe in, you know, what, what you can put on the page and, and what's in the subtext. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, the craft 
you all your craft can always get better but if you have that passion and you have that you know that voice that's original and it's yours that's what people are going to pick up on and i think that they'll the rest will come later you know yes cuz you can learn all the fine tuning right. about craft but mm-hmm. it is really spending the time developing your voice and believing right. in your voice and not everyone in this business or in other businesses can recognize an original voice when they see something original they might not recognize it as good they don't know it might be different to them or it, a lot of people just don't know um so when you get that rejection take it with a grain of salt and keep, and keep doing what you're doing yeah. because you know you have to get through those people and you have to get through those defeats to find someone to say wow this is this is different not because it's bad but because it's great you know um and they'll take that and help you tailor it into you know yeah something that really works and then you get with strong mentors and then all the craft comes into play right the craft mixed with the voice but if you have that juice that juice in your in your writing and and well i think your voice is I, i do agree with you i think the the gift of your life experience and the gift of you know, traveling for two years and again, knowing all that stuff and then hitting the page and being passionate about what you were putting there and and believing in it and seeing your voice and going after it and making it happen. I, I, I think that's huge. And, and I think that's so, so inspiring. And I want people to feel empowered that, you know, age is only a number. And, and exactly. if you let yeah. it block you, it will block you. Mm-hmm. If you don't and you believe that in your voice and your talent, mm-hmm. I always believe strong writing will rise. I just, I, it's not to say all the time because I definitely think there are very talented writers out there who are not being discovered. But I think if you mix it with passion and drive and ambition right, and right. make it happen and believe it's going to happen and don't let anyone tell you no, and you know, follow through. It, right. it can happen. You right. are a prime example oh, of thank that. You. Yes. So, uh, with that, I wanted to say thank you so much You're for your honesty and your candor and and sharing so much with us about your life and your writing. Because I definitely believe it all goes hand in hand. And I think your advice to writers and the idea that. It's never too late to go after your dream, and and you do want to live so that you have something to reflect on in your writing is fantastic. And I wish you well, and I can't wait to see you run a show. Until then, I'll be watching all your episodes of Breaking Bad and, and looking for you in the feature world. So I know that's something that you're interested in as yeah, well. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yep. So mm-hmm. that's great. So I want to thank you for joining thank you. us. Thanks, Jen. Appreciate you got it. it. And we are out with George Mastris, a producer on the Emmy Award winning show Breaking Bad on AMC. This is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. and StoryWise Podcast. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. 